When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast Podcast. with your host Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige Demakos, Jake Arians, Jamie Eisner, and it's a beautiful Monday in Scottsdale, Arizona. We're we're uh, we're enjoying the fact that it's not 115 degrees in Scottsdale in June. So everyone, everybody here on this call is very excited. So. Guys, how we doing? How was your weekend? I'll start with Jake. I think he was saying by the pool, so feel free. Look, it was 110 for three days. We were breaking records. It dropped down to 95 with a little breeze, and it was absolutely amazing all weekend long. And then, as you called it, chilly this morning. I don't know if it was if I call it chilly, but it was a little brisk for Scottsdale in June this morning. It was. Uh, it's just another gorgeous day. Look, we're not going to get another one until October, probably. So I'll take advantage of it while we can. Yeah, for those uh, for those non Arizona or non you know Southern Nevada listeners, they may not understand how how refreshing ninety five is this time of year. I mean, it is. It feels like an oasis with that little bit of a breeze. So, um, you know, it, it was a good weekend, uh, all, all things considered, and ready to talk some football today. Yeah, we got we got plenty to get into. We're going to start with kind of the the lay of the land in the NFL and the fact that camp is going to start on time, right? So there's there's definitely this is obviously going to be different. Um, um, Rookies haven't been able to report like we are used to. There's been different, obviously, measures in each state that have kept people away, including guys that are used to, you know, having injury uh, stuff taken care of throughout the offseason. So it's obviously not a traditional offseason, but it does look like camp will start on time. And Jake, you and I have talked a lot about how camp used to look and how camp looks now and how there's just the way that it runs now isn't necessarily good anyways. So it's, it's very interesting, you know, from, from your perspective to discuss kind of what the impact could be for this season. You know, it's weird. My first training camp, I was going into ninth grade and I was working as a manager for the Kansas city chiefs. We went to river falls, Wisconsin, and it was six weeks of training camp. Now you were playing games at the end of that, but you had like a full month, five weeks of Marty Schottenheimer, two days in pads, 
And there wasn't a lot before that other than weightlifting. Like that was the old school days of you just went straight into camp and then went into the season. Now, while I don't like that per se, I don't think we need that. This rookies and free agents can join the coaches and stay all in a normal offseason, not this year, can stay. They get so much farther ahead than maybe some of the veterans you're going to bring in. And then they take those guys' jobs. This year's going to be really weird because everybody's going to report to camp on time, but you've had no OTAs. You've had a bunch of Zoom calls. And as my dad says all the time, you can only keep their attention so long without have, being in the room. There's just not the same chemistry. Uh, and COVID's not going away. So as people are paying attention to this, as we're all running around living our lives again, that's still happening. Now, the great part is camp's going to start on time. It looks like the end of July for everybody. A lot of teams are back in their buildings already, coaching staffs. Uh, some are going in next week. So they're going to have everything ready for that but they're not going to get their hands on the guys until training camp starts. And as Paige, you and I talk about, it's how my dad makes fun of these, the new collective bargaining agreement. It's kind of like the old one. You get in shape and then they wanted this like time off to get out of shape. And then they come back into camp to get them back in shape. But now we're going to be two preseason games short. It looks like we're only going to have two. Uh, there's no scrimmaging with other teams, which a lot of coaches like that better than preseason games. I don't think the first month of the season is going to be very good football. It hasn't been the last couple of years. The first two weeks have kind of sucked anyway. I think I think September is going to be kind of ugly, and I don't think we're going to know a lot about a lot of these teams until maybe week four. Uh, but this this is a weird weird off season. I don't think we're going to learn a lot because I don't think you know next year is not going to be like this. But it's still that mixing of the old and the new, and then we don't really know what this new collective bargaining agreement said for the off season, right? So you don't have OTAs, phase one, phase two, and then a break, and then training camp. Everybody's showing up at the same time, and these rookies this year are really going to be farther behind than they, than they have been the last five or six. Yeah, and, and those are two points I really want to touch on. One is that, you know, we've talked about how there's been some really bad early season football the last couple of years, particularly last season for those that did not play at all in the preseason. You know, that's only going to be exacerbated this time of year when you're not, when you have a much a bridged offseason program and now a bridged preseason, no, none of these scrimmages. And it's really going to be a steep learning curve for these rookies coming in. Uh, which is going to be very interesting to see. There's really only one quarterback right now, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later, that's expected to be a week one starter, and that's Joe Burrow. Uh, but there are a lot of other running backs and receivers that are expected to at least have some sort of, at least in theory, role out of the gate, which will be interesting to see if that gets pushed and how they react to coming into the NFL without all of this extra offseason work that they normally get. It'll be interesting to see if we see a more veteran presence at the beginning of the season, like Jake said, where a lot of times rookies can come in and get the coach's eye and get the coach's ear a little bit in favor ahead of the veterans. Now everybody's coming in at the same time. It's it's going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot of sloppy football. There's I think we're going to find ourselves, like Jake was alluding to, two or three weeks into the season, maybe having some false ideas of who's actually good and who's not good. Uh, that will be replicated once you get more reps and you get deeper in the season. And those those really actual good and talented teams start to separate themselves from the pack. But yeah, I think unfortunately, look, any sports being back is good. Uh, but I don't think whether it's college football or the NFL, their, their first month or so back is going to be to the caliber that we've normally come to expect from them. Yeah, it's obviously a lot of change. Things are going to look different. And I think the, the thing that we talk about on this podcast is going to be more relevant this year that usually what happens in the first eight weeks kind of tells you what you get that whole, the whole rest of the season. And I hope people realize not to do that this year, because this is going to be more than more so than last year where that was already not the the right way to describe what a football team was. The identity of a team is not going to be known 
after week eight. You're you're just going to be starting to get a normal, relevant version of the team after they've had some time to gel and have chemistry and get some semblance of normalcy because you're talking about creatures of habit. Athletes are have a tough time in all sports in general with any change because their lives are so structured day in and day out. They know what to expect. Many of the conversations that I've had with guys already is they're just they, they don't know how how to spend this time. A lot of the times where there's so much free time, they're not used to having it. It's it's that is going to be have to be accounted for. It's going to this is going to be different. So I'm, I'm definitely happy to report that we're going to, you know, the NBA is going to be happening. So we're already going to, you know, just sports coming back. Like Jamie said, it's really, really good. Feels good to hear those things just to know that it's going to happen. Camp starting on time is obviously a good thing, but I think temper the expectations for the type of football you're going to see in September because it's probably going to be a lot of like, if you guys remember what that Bears-Packers game was like at the beginning of last year to kick off the NFL 100. I was there live, and the final score was 9-6. to six. It was a horrible football game. You know, there's, uh, <laughs> there's one thing I'm really worried about, though, from a fantasy point of view is because this offseason has been so screwed up and they haven't been with their teams, you know, there's there's guys that are workout warriors. They're out there getting you know getting in every day, but they're not doing a lot of football stuff. I mean, I'm yeah. seeing I'm watching videos of guys running around in parks with grass up to their mid shins. I know last time you guys were at an NFL facility, but the grass you know they got like 15 dudes that make sure the grass is like a golf fairway, and these guys are running around in parks that are like not made for football fields. I'm worried about injuries from a fantasy point of view. We're going to draft based off of a very limited preseason. You know. Like we always say, don't you don't set your drafts after week three, right? We're only going to have two preseason games. I don't know what we're going to see. And I got a feeling there's going to be a bunch of ankles and a bunch of soft tissue stuff that are mm-hmm. going to linger into September that could really jack you up fantasy-wise. Like you better get some depth on your teams. And this, I think this year's drafts fantasy-wise is going to be really, really critical. Maybe a, you know, last year you could take a flyer on A.J. Green and Melvin Gordon, knowing they're going to come back at some time. A.J. Green didn't, Melvin Gordon didn't help a lot of people later on. I don't know that you can really do that this year and not have people available in September if you do have some hamstrings, quads, pulled calves. There's a lot of guys working out with trainers that don't necessarily get them in football shape. They get them in great straight line shape, and when they start cutting, there goes a hamstring and they're out for a month. I'm really worried about that. Phenomenal point. And I think that's going to be something that we talk about a lot as we get into our preseason draft preview shows of this year, especially starting out, might be the most important year of your fantasy bench life um, in coming out of the draft. Usually you, you're building your bench in the season. You draft a bunch of maybe flyer high upside guys late, and then you kind of cut them in weeks one and two when everybody scrambles to the waiver wire to pick up the the next hot, sexy pick that had a really good week one, uh, the Darius Slaytons of the world, you know. But this year, there's going to have to be a lot of consideration placed on backing up your own guys and backing up your – and it's not just handcuffing running backs like we've talked about, but it's handcuffing your top receivers, maybe even handcuffing your quarterback with – not in the traditional sense of you're not drafting their backup quarterback, but drafting another quarterback you can put in their place because there is a precedent for this. When the KBO came back, they had a lot of soft tissue injuries right out of the gate. It was something they experienced, and I think we're going to see it more and more of a little bit better case studies when the NHL returns at the end of July, NBA around that point, baseball maybe never. But we're going to have some of these case studies around this, and it's something that you have to consider. 
And uh, just one other point on like the tall grass stuff. I mean, if they're prepared to play the 2005 USC Notre Dame game again, that's great. I'm glad they're working out in, in that in that tall grass to stop Reggie Bush. But otherwise, uh, these NFL fields, if you've, you've seen them. I mean, unfortunately, we see too many close-ups with NFL fields in the preseason because usually they're playing when they're playing at off facilities and it's terrible and there's holes in the ground and it's just a disaster. Uh, luckily, we won't be dealing with that aspect this season because nobody's going anywhere out of the country. Or, or to the, or we're not getting the Hall of Fame game. I don't think. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how how that all plays out. But yeah, depth and your bench is going to be extremely important coming out of your draft, and that might mean limiting how many high upside guys you pick if you have a very short bench. Yeah, I, I, it took me a moment to come back from that uh, joke that you had there, Jamie. I was just imagining, imagine that was a good one. That was a but good the growing one. Up, that was that was a fun time. I mean, that it year. Was. I mean, it's. We can go off on a tangent about how how fun name value wise that 06 draft was and how almost none of them panned out, which is yeah. remarkable. But it, it was that uh, that whole college football season was just something else. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Uh, second piece of news we want to get into before uh, we get into our conversation about Mark Andrews is the uh, coaxing of trying to get Kyle Long out of retirement. The uh, New York Jets are reportedly trying to get him to come play. Um, I know Kyle really well. Uh, I talked to him after he got after he he had made his decision. His body has been in a bad way for a long time. Like uh, he he doesn't remember a time when he's been playing football where he's actually felt over seventy percent, which is horrible. Um, hard. He's had he's had hard, some yeah hard hard, hard, hard. It's, it's hard to he, play in the NFL when you're not one hundred percent. Yeah, he's he has had some horrible luck with the injury bug. Um, and is a hell of a player, was a hell of a player, especially when he was at 100, when he was near 100%. Uh, so I think this, I, I understand why, because there is obviously, you know, trying to get him to, to, okay, you took a little time, really not a lot of time, right? Like three months, right? That he's been, <laughs> that he's been retired. Uh, but the conversation is there. I, I don't see this happening Jake, do you see a way that in which it happens? Because right now he looks fit. Like Kyle looks great. I'm like, dude, you're you're looking like a normal human, not like an NFL player anymore. And yeah, and you've I, seen NFL offensive linemen, they don't look like normal humans. Here's no. the problem with Kyle. Kyle's a baseball player, and he's built more like Chris. He's really not an offensive lineman. He had he's one of those guys that has to wake up in the middle of the night, eat a thousand calories to stay heavy enough to play offensive line, and he still wasn't ever overly big. He was just tough as hell. And he just had that mentality. If you see him walking around now, he looks like a taller version of me. He's not neither one of us are showing abs anytime soon, but like there's, you know, he, there's, there's no offensive line body going on. I can see this being a Gronk thing and somebody wants him next year where he comes back and he maybe could put 40 or 50 pounds back on, but do it the right way because his body was just, he just, he wasn't big enough to carry that weight. And I think a lot of those injuries that he had were trying to be big enough to play in the NFL, which if you're not, it makes it that much tougher. So I, there's no way he's walking around like 215, 220 right now. He was 300, what, four or five months ago? There, I, there's no way he's playing the NFL this year. I could see it being next year. He could put some good weight back on, but even that is really tough. And you know, men, dude, you deal with injuries at the NFL is so hard. When you're playing in the NFL injured, you, you mentally you're just you're just gone. And he was gone. There's no way that's bouncing back fast enough to play this season. I hope he doesn't. Yeah. I hope he gets all that walking around injured or in pain sucks period whether you're playing the nfl or anything i hope he gets all that taken care of and he's just happy 
Yeah, his his body made the decision for him. And and like you said, to, to the, the Gronk point, sometimes, and we've seen this happen with a few different players, when you're a year away from the game, assuming those nagging injuries are gone by then, the desire, the itch, the competitiveness doesn't go away. But if once, once and if it does, the pain subsides, then the thoughts come back, oh, you know what, maybe I can give this another run. But he's also been pretty vocal about he if he's going to play, he really wants to play for Chicago and wants to play for the Bears. And he flat out said he doesn't see himself, um, I'm paraphrasing, but tarnishing his legacy by going somewhere else. I mean, he so I don't see – now, if the Bear, if let's say he wants to come back next year and the Bears go, yeah, we don't want you back, then I can see him. Okay, well, I, I – I fulfilled my obligation. I tried to go back, maybe look what you know, look what other opportunities are elsewhere. But I agree. I don't think he's playing this year. Um, you know, I guess the Jets deserve a little credit for trying to you know turn over every rock. Although they're going to have to at some point have a plan. I know they got Mackay Becton, but have a plan beyond just let's see who we can bring out of retirement every off every other off season, uh, like they did with Ryan Khalil last year. But uh, I, I can't see it happening. Um, I can and see why can, you'd want to get Kyle back. Sure. Right? Of course. I mean, of Kyle, course. healthy and big enough to play in the NFL, is, is a different mentality to your offensive line, to a team that wants to run the football. Um, I, I just could compare to my, my comparison to Gronk, though, Gronk's only like eight to 10 pounds lighter than when he played. Yeah. Maybe 15 if he was a little heavy that year. I think that's better for him. I think he's going to move better. I think he has less chance of having injuries. He can still block his ass off at 255, 260, whatever he is, not 270, 275. I think he's better off. We're talking 60, 80 pounds yeah. from what Kyle played at to what he looks like he's walking around now. Uh, that's that's a much, much bigger gap. Mm-hmm. But I was just using the Gronk comparison to how he felt. It took him yeah. a year before he thought about doing anything athletically, especially playing football. I think that's the biggest kit part here for Kyle is that he is going to want to let his body heal. And I think I, I can't imagine that he's already feeling 100% better. I, I mean, you're talking about years and years of body, just brutal, brutal injuries over and over again. So I anticipate we'll see this conversation resurface again next off season. Cause I think depending on how obviously he's young enough that he's still got enough juice left and let's see if he, you know, takes some time away and starts to feel better. I wouldn't be he surprised. Played, to see he played this seven years. Yeah. Seven, eight let years. Me, let me ask you this page. You're the, you're the bears expert. Did he talk his way out of going back to the bears? He's had some interesting stuff to say this off season, turning into a media member. No, I don't. It depends on what happens with the quarterback situation, right? I, I think there's there's a way in which, yeah, that might be true, but there's another way that maybe he wanted to take a year off and let them figure this shit out <laughs> and then <laughs> come back next year and be like, you know what? Okay, I know what I know what I'm in for. Because um, he was, I mean, he was very, very loyal to Jay Cutler. Like, it was very tough for him when Jay like went away from the team obviously and and he and jay are very good friends now i mean he's he yeah. he attacked kristen cavallari more recently when she had some comments about jay cutler kyle had a lot of stuff to say to to soon to be ex-wife of jay cutler so you know that's I think the there's... thing with them though like he's gonna be successful in whatever it is joining whatever, media sure. do like i respect their whole entire family like howie's great their mom's a freaking rock star i love the whole family chris He's Kyle's gonna be fine regardless of what he does, but I hope he's walking around without pain, being happy, and not worried about the NFL. Seven years is enough. He should yeah. be at least set up for the rest of his life, whether he's set for life or not, whatever. But he should be set up enough. If he doesn't want to play another down of football, you, you did your time, man. Yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that I could see coming back, depending on the situation. But 
it's he's got to I imagine that he's got to get himself to a place where he feels good. And he's also he's also enjoying himself. He likes he likes the uh, the media guy that he's become and he likes the microphone and he's enjoying hey, himself. Chris, Chris's show is extremely successful. Yes. Chris has his platform. Kyle's a little funnier. He, he's a little quirkier. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can see, you know, it's not like they don't have connections in the media industry with, with yeah. that. So yeah. I, he'll be just fine either way. Yeah. And they, they're obviously such huge advocates. Both of them spend a significant amount of their time and energy off the field and have uh, impacting their communities, setting up certain things. I mean, I think there's really, really quite a bit um, to do that he is very passionate about that I could see, you know, really, really taking off and becoming his passion instead of football That's and, and not having to take hits. So we'll see. Uh, don't think it's going to be the Jets, we'll, but I, I will mark this one to, to see if we are returning to this conversation next offseason. Jamie, we want to talk about Mark Andrews, his fantasy value taking a step forward. Obviously, the conversation around the Baltimore Ravens last year was Lamar Jackson. So as good as Mark Andrews in the season, there there wasn't necessarily wasn't necessarily the proper amount of spotlight on what was going on there. So you wrote a great piece on the draftnetwork.com about Mark Andrews. So why don't you kick things off here with how you see his fantasy value entering this upcoming season? Yeah, he, he was a fascinating player to evaluate because of his level of production and so few snaps. I mean, he played only 41% of Baltimore's offensive snaps last year and put up, you know, 64 catches, 852 yards uh, and 10 touchdowns. And, you know, if you kind of look at where sports books have his over under prop bets set for the year, they're pretty much kind of in line with what their numbers were last year. It's 64 and a half for catches, you know, 899.5 yards for receiving and then nine and a half touchdowns. And I kind of go into a deep breakdown here of what what his workload could look like. You know, we saw the Ravens employ a, a four-headed tight-handed monster uh, a couple of years ago with Max Williams also in the fold. Once they moved on from him, we saw Andrews jump at the, about 10% more offensive plays from his rookie year to his sophomore season last year. And if he experiences a similar jump again this year, which is, again, very doable, um, even that would only get him to about, and, and I break this down in the article, even that gets him to only about, 538 snaps over 16 games, which is not something that's unreasonable. That's actually lower than a lot of the other top tight ends in the league. And I kind of break down, you know, why I think he can actually go over his his catch and yards total um, that's been posted from last year and for this year's this year's prop bets. But uh, this is kind of what I want to talk to you guys about: is how much more of a workload do you expect him to have this year? Do you expect and do you expect him to repeat this very, very high level of touchdown volume, which is a lot flukier to predict than either catches or receiving yards? I don't. I think their offense is going to look different. I think it has to evolve from what it was last year. Uh, he was basically Greg Olson to Cam Newton back in the day, which was the safety blanket when you don't have a lot of weapons. These, those weapons should be better. Hollywood Brown should be healthy. Uh, a hell of a lot healthier than he was. He played, Jamie's talked about it a bunch. He played through a lot of injuries. I expect him to be better. They've added weapons. Uh, I think the run game is going to be different. They're going to have to get more unique there. And Lamar Jackson's going to have to become a better passer, which means he has to throw it to more people. Hayden Hurst is gone. So a lot of people instantly think Mark Andrews is going to play more, but he's not really the blocking tight end. They've got other guys when they really want to go in a big, heavy set, and he's really more than just that receiver. I think the workload is going to stay very, set, very close to the same which I think the production is going to be pretty close. I don't think there's 10 touchdowns in him. I mean, if you're playing them now, you're going to drop a safety deep for Hollywood Brown. You're probably going to double Andrews, and you're going to make one of these other guys that's not as proven beat you, and you're going to load up to stop the run. 
hey, everybody's going to load the box. And you might not even drop that safety deep over Hollywood Brown until they prove that they can that they can connect on that, right? Uh, to me, if you're stopping them, you're stopping the run, you're stopping Andrews because that's their first down machine and it was their, their red zone touchdown machine. I, I can't imagine he gets 10 touchdowns again. I mean, that's a – last year was – I think last year's probably the ceiling. He's capable of that. I just For think sure. the offense from a football – analytical point of view that offense has to evolve again because you put too much on tape of what you did last year and Lamar Jackson's got to be become a better more efficient passer all the way around and they have more weapons so I don't think you're going to be able to go to the same guy as much as you did last year so Jamie what do you envision is taking a step forward from him if 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 there is an opportunity for him if he does take a 25 percent you know decrease in his touchdown percentage and this offense does look different but what are what else can he do to cement himself as a top, you know, a top five tight end? Because obviously he's going to play a big part in this offense, but I'm in agreement with Jake. I don't know what this offense is going to look like. Like I, I have, I have full faith that John Harbaugh has spent a lot of time this off season going back to the drawing board with Lamar Jackson and things are going to look a lot different as we enter 2020. Yeah. And look, and, and sometimes with certain players, progression doesn't necessarily mean you outpace your stats from the prior season. In this case, if he's able to come close and replicate what he was able to do over the course of a season, I think that shows that I think that shows significant progress. Now, having teams that are you're the focal point, you're now no longer that. Oh, here, you know, you're the focal point of that offense. You're the focal point of defensive coordinators that are focusing on the passing game. Everybody knows that you're the big threat in the red zone and probably the only major threat in the red zone of the pass catching variety that they have right now. You know, maybe Miles Boykin can be that at some point for them. But to be able to put up similar numbers to last year, maybe playing a little bit more snaps out there, that to me is enough progression. And he's going right now around that you know, that tight end three spot, uh, you know, there's some significant drop off behind Kelsey. Uh, right now, Tim and Ertz are being battling for that tight end three spot a little bit behind, understandably, Kelsey and Kittle. But look, oh, I think if he plays 16 games this year, I think he can be a possibly a 70 catch thousand yard guy. But I don't think he's getting anywhere. I think he's more like six or seven touchdowns. I don't think he's going to get 10. And if he's able to put up a line like that, I think you'd be absolutely thrilled with that. And that would be more than enough quote-unquote progression for me to see in a season where he's becoming the focal point now it's not sneaking up on anybody being able to take those high level of stats he put up last year and do it again would be all i need to see to cement him among that top tier of tight ends i really love the player i mean you go back to my comparison with greg olson and cam newton they still had chemistry you couldn't still you couldn't stop them but the more weapons that they got the less greg was used in the offense greg was still a great player the progression was there Greg's a lot different. He's a more well-rounded all the way around tight end than, than Andrews is. I think the player is going to be good. I, I'd love him in fantasy. I mean, if you're still talking 65 catches, 850 yards, and six or seven touchdowns, that's a hell of a year because it's consistent. They still have the chemistry, and they're still going to run a lot underneath stuff. He's still going to be a big-time third-down target. And when you have chemistry like they have with him and Lamar, you're going to put up numbers regardless uh, of, of how he is used. I don't know that my the original question, I don't think he was going to do what he did last year. And I don't know that the numbers are going to progress from there. But And I don't like him as much as Ertz. That's what I was going to ask. Now, yeah. no, I, think, I think Ertz is still a solid three because you're talking about the ultimate chemistry with him and Carson Wentz and that offense. Even though they've added a lot of weapons, to me, that's kind of the opposite. They've added enough weapons that you're not doubling Ertz anymore. And Ertz is going back to playing man-to-man, which is a matchup nightmare. And Wentz is going to lean on him when he can. Uh, so I think Ertz is definitely a three ahead of, but Andrew is definitely a top five guy. I mean, and to me, like I said, they have that kind of chemistry that Greg and Cam had. 
you're going to put up numbers regardless because he's still going to go to him whether he's covered or not. He just has that faith in him. The targets are going to be there. Jamie Ertz or Andrews? Ertz will be my number three. And I, I, I get why everybody is is excited about Andrews and that he'd be my fourth. So again, you're splitting hairs when we're talking about top players at the position as we always, as I always mentioned. But uh, to Jake's point, I, I think as I had Zach Ertz a fancy last year and I, w- and I lived through the early season quote unquote struggles and watching him very closely, you could see how things kind of changed as that offense continued to lose players. And it was almost remarkable that he was able to be as productive as he was when there was when you're literally throwing to undrafted guys off the street at some point in the season. So uh, it, to me, his I, I know everybody is petrified of, of Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard is still going to have his role. And by the way, Ertz was plenty productive with Dallas Goddard being pretty productive as well. So uh, that's not something that scares me. He's my tight end three. I'd almost like Andrews more if Hayden Hurst was still there to that exact point. I love the fact that Goddard's on the field, but you, all they did was draft speed. You got guys taking the top off the defense, which is going to leave the seam or running a little dig. I mean, Ertz is going to be, I don't know how you're going to defend them. They added, and it's not like one guy is going to get hurt. Like, like last year, Valshawn and Deshaun Jackson go down. They still got Marquise Goodwin. They drafted Rager. Like they got speed everywhere. Uh, and I think Goddard being on the field does nothing but help. Zach Ertz. I think Zach Ertz might actually play in the slot some and they could change. They could, that, that offense could actually evolve and morph a little bit as well. I hope somebody in, in one of my drafts uh, reaches for Andrews and allows me to take Zach Ertz. That's all I'm going to say for that conversation. Moving on uh, fantasy football year two wide receivers. Uh, Listen, we had one of the, one of the more, one of the more special standout guys last year in general was Terry McLaren. Uh, it was a joy to watch him play last year, especially considering he was a standout throughout the season when there was uh, it was a tumultuous season for them. They had quarterback changes, coaching changes, and and he was pretty consistent. So, Jamie, the way you broke things out here, you got stars, productive, intriguing, and hanging on by a thread. So I'm going to go through this list because I think I like the way you broke it out here. You guys can check that out on the draftnetwork.com on the fantasy tab. The, the top four you have listed here are A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaren, and Debo Samuel. Um, obviously AJ Brown coming in at the top, he's wide receiver 16 Metcalf's uh, a little bit behind him at 23. And then Terry McLaren, you have them in order at their ADPs of those four. What, who do you like the most as far as value? Well, I, I think value wise, I, I look to the back two guys of McLaren and, and Debo Samuel, who are now somehow going into wide receiver three territory. And it's one of those things that's going to be very interesting this year is because there are probably about 50 receivers worthy of being in the top 36. Uh, I mean, you're going to find that there are a lot of really talented players and that, uh, you know, and as a break out these rankings, which you're going to get, we'll have a little bit more of an announcement about where you can find those and when they'll be up on the draftnetwork.com here uh, in the coming weeks. But you're going to find there's a lot of talented players at that spot. So overpaying in the wide receiver two range, I think, is where you could probably get into a little bit of trouble. Uh, to me, I, I look at A.J. Brown, and, and I'll have projections and all these guys, but I, I think his season this year is going to look a lot like it did last year, which is, not, which is, by the way, pretty damn good, but I think would be disappointing to where people have his expectations. I think people expect him to be one of the – a, a true wide receiver one in fantasy. And I think he's going to more replicate his numbers last year over the course of the season, which by the way, makes him a, a damn good wide receiver too, which is exactly kind of what you should be paying for. But I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed with that. You know, Metcalf, I like 
because he's going to get a lot of target volume. But again, you talk about how much more target volume could he get as a guy that led all rookies with over 100 last year. He's not going to get 30, 40 more targets this year. I don't just don't see that possibly happening unless Lockett misses a prolonged period of time. But McLaurin and Samuel are kind of people are kind of down on him, McLaurin because of the quarterback situation. But, you know, we saw him thrive with different quarterbacks at different points last season. We saw uh, Dwayne Haskins take a small and brief step forward at the end of the season. We will see if that's a mirage and whether that can continue into year two. And that's going to be a huge factor. He's, you know, he's got a new head coach. And that's another thing that we talked earlier about of a disadvantage for certain teams this offseason. Having an abridged offseason really affects teams that have a new head coach coming in and that hasn't been able to, to meet, to, they've been meeting with players, but be able to establish in a football setting, what they want from those players. But McLaurin and Samuel, I don't see their workloads decreasing at all. Uh, they're both extremely talented. Samuel's case, he's going to be a focal point in that offense and, you know, as a number two option behind George Kittle. Uh, I think both those guys that are now barely going inside the top 30 wide receivers would be guys I, I'm heavily targeting. Absolutely. Value was the question. Value is Debo Samuel. I think the entire offense is going to go through Debo Samuel. You still get a lot of speed sweeps, you get handoffs, bubble screens. He goes deep, he does it all. Uh, and I think Kyle is really going to use him just the way he's built. He's built like a running back playing receiver. He can take a lot of that. In fantasy, you're going to take all the points you can get. So if it's a 30-yard reverse, which they, you know, there was a while there, he was getting two or three carries a game. Um, I love McLaren. That kid proved to me that he's a well-rounded, does-it-all receiver, which means his targets, he's still the number one. His targets are going to be there regardless of who the quarterback is. And he looked like he had some, some chemistry with Haskins down the stretch. So value-wise, those two. DK Metcalf is not a well-rounded receiver. I don't know that he ever can be. That body's too big to run the entire route tree. He's going to have his targets. He's going to, they're going to take their shots. Uh, A.J. Brown's the best of the bunch, but they still run it 40 times a game. They don't want to throw it enough for him to have a monster year. Value-wise, those two guys, those two names, DJ Debo Samuel is going to be way, flying up people's boards. I, don't, I can't imagine there's going to be that much value there. If you're getting him in straight wide receiver two territory, I take that all day long. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement, obviously, for for DK and AJ up at the top. But I think the biggest thing that you mentioned, Jake, is that AJ Brown is the guy that is on a team that wants to run the football. And the difference between ADP being wide receiver 16 and Debo Samuel being wide receiver 28, that's a significant difference when you're drafting. And I like Debo Samuel a lot of this bunch. Uh, if you guys want to see the rest of this article, you can go to the draftnetwork.com. But I, I want to go to the I want to go to the bottom part of this list, Jamie. The hanging on by a thread part. Because I like I like the way you set that up. Um, and I, I always like to talk a little bit about the guys who are maybe off of the radar a little bit. There, there are also there's also an irrelevant list, but you can read those on the draftnetwork.com. Uh, the hanging on by a thread list is Andy Isabella. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, Calvin Harmon of the Washington Redskins, Miles Boykin for the Ravens, Steven Sims Jr. for the Redskins, Johnson for the Vikings, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside for the Eagles, and Jalen Hurd for the 49ers. So, Jamie, of that grouping, you, they're ranked between wide receiver 84 and 122. The value aside, who has the best opportunity to not be hanging on by a thread when we get to the end of this football season? I think there are two ways to answer this question. There's one, the, the player with the best chance to have that not because of an injury is Kelvin Harmon. Uh, and seeing what he can do in that Washington, there's there's room for another receiver in that offense to have some production. Again, not going to be every week starter production by any means, but you know, bi-week fill in at a wide receiver three or flex spot type of a thing. 
Uh, I want to see between him and, and a guy like, that emerged last year because of injury, Steven Sims Jr., for a brief period of time. Uh, one of those Washington receivers should be able to at least be somewhere on the back portion of somebody's you know last spot on the bench somewhere uh, by the second half of the year. In terms of injury, for one injury in front of him instantly puts him in that like top of your bench spot, and that's Ola B.C. Johnson. Uh, they don't have a ton of depth in Minnesota right now. He is somebody that did sort of emerge last year as a possible option you know, if again, Thielen's dealt with some injury history, we'll see what happens with Justin Jefferson when he gets to the league. You know, he's somebody that again, Vikings don't throw a ton. I want to see how their what their throw percentage changes a little bit with Kubiak versus with Stefanski. If there's any sort of inching a little bit back towards because Kirk Cousins was under 30 attempts per game uh, in his it, the entire time Stefanski was his offensive coordinator. I want to see if maybe that doesn't jump up a lot, but maybe does that jump up from like 29.4, which is where I think it was to like 31 per game. But if there's an injury, an injury to Adam Thielen, which we have seen happen a few times over the last couple of years, uh, old BC Johnson becomes extremely interesting for that period of time when Thielen's out. Sims, I fell in love with it any year. Run after the catch monster. Those bubble screens, they got him involved. I think he's a legit number two in that offense, but we still got a lot of questions in that offense. The one I want to talk about is the Flyers heard San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a David Johnson type body that was a big time running back in the SEC at Tennessee, goes to Baylor, becomes a receiver. Uh, a lot like the kid coming out of Memphis this year. They don't know if he, that Washington took. Oh, Gibson. You yeah. Know, yeah. You don't know if he's going to be a receiver, running back, whatever. Herb became a receiver, got hurt last year. To me, with Kyle, knowing how much they liked him, uh, you're talking about literally like guys 6'3, 6'4, that's 220. That's a lot like David Johnson. I mean, the same kind of guy catches it phenomenal runs routes phenomenal if i'm going to pick one off that list to take a flyer on and we were just talking about this draft maybe not the flyer but maybe that last round if he's sitting around i think he could be a big part of their offense this year they're still not the best receiving core out there they're still very unique on what they do offensively especially with kyle and i know how much they like him he's a matchup nightmare at that size mm -hmm. athletically extremely gifted just like literally think david johnson in his prime when they were when the cardinals were splitting him out playing in the slot doing a lot of different stuff. And we just talked about Debo Samuel, speed, you know, speed sweeps, screens, different. I think you can, you can see him in that type of role for them. Yeah. All right. and, and, Go and ahead, sorry, before, before I try to cut you off their page, but like part of the idea of the hanging on by a thread category is a lot like was what Jake was presenting was that they have, we haven't seen prolonged production yet, but there's that thread, that thread. There's that one thing that you go, it, you know, either whether it's skill set like Jalen Hurd has, whether it's, you know, well, there's an injury situation and opportunity like Ola B.C. Johnson, uh, you know, whether it was high draft pick. But those are just like something there that you go, you know what, even if you don't draft them, keep them on waiver wire speed dial of this, especially early in the season. It, it's important to be able to identify players before they start to break out so that, you know, OK, they had a big week. I buy into this versus eh, I don't buy into it or I'm going to wait. Those are guys that you look at and say, okay, which one of these players could be that if they start to show signs? And it might not be in production. It might just be, you know, holy crap, Heard got three carries and eight targets in week one. And maybe only put up five fantasy points. But you go, okay, with that sort of talent, uh, if that sort of workload is going to be anything close to what he's going to get, that's somebody I want to have on my team. You need to be able to make that decision in advance. And the way that you can be a week ahead on some of these players is by knowing, okay, who am I going to focus on in particular, even if I don't draft them, but immediately after my draft and say, if I see any signs that this player could be heavily productive, I'm going to add them to my team. It's a great article and a great list, Jamie. That really is. When you get to the, the like, I agree with Paige, like hanging on by a thread, I, there's a chance Jalen Hurd does nothing. But yeah. the skill set 
the size, the matchup, knowing Kyle Shanahan could be a guy to pay attention to. I love the way you said that speed dial, your bench speed dial. I like all these guys. Your point on OBC Johnson's been good for a couple of years. When he's filled in, he's solid. He knows the offense. He's going to have a leg up on some rookies, regardless of where they're drafted. He's going to be in there. So if they have an injury, Sims Jr. to me, man, I, that dude was so much fun to watch at the end of the year. I know they love him. That entire receiving core is extremely young, so they're all going to be out there. And regardless of how good that defense is, they're going to be throwing it a lot yeah. late. So, yeah, you know, th- those guys are all really close. And it's funny because McLaren and Sims at the end of the year, Sims was better. Yeah. We just talked about McLaren in that top four, yeah. not hanging on by a thread. Uh, th- that's a great, great article and a great list, man. Really, really nice job. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one you want to check out so you have that list on speed dial. I think that's the best way Jamie presented it is you might not be drafting these guys, but you better have a you better have a list ready to go that you know you're you're paying attention to in week one and week two, uh, especially in light of what we said. You're not going to know a lot before before we get to like week four. Uh, it's going to be, it could potentially be real ugly for the first couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, this is, you're exactly right, Paige. We've talked about the, your your bench, your draft. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking now, like, and I love the two quarterback thing, but I'm almost like, all right, give me a Russell Wilson who never misses a game. Yeah. And whether he's really, really high or he's just like seven or eight on the list of top 10 quarterbacks, I know he's playing every week. And maybe I just go with one quarterback and I can load that bench a little bit if I do get some injuries to some wide receiver ones and I got wide receiver twos or threes playing, but it's a great matchup. It's going to be a really, really interesting draft. Your bench is going to be vitally important. Yeah. It's, it's always important, but this year I think it's going to be more important than we've seen in the last couple of years. Last topic guys here that we want to get into Joe Burrow, the rookie quarterback, obviously that everybody is most excited to see the guy who is going to be those starter on week one. Um, the rest of the rookies, I don't think are going to be in that same position. At least we don't anticipate that. So from a fantasy perspective, Jake, I'll let you go first here. Do you think Joe Burrow has the opportunity to be a low end QB one this football season? I do. I think it's, it's towards the bottom of, of QB one territory, but I really do because I love the weapons. The offensive line's not great but their defense sucks. They're playing in a really brutal division. I think they'll be losing a lot of games and they're going to throw a ton. Now, the negative to that is how much do interceptions affect your, your quarterback fantasy points in your league? Uh, that that could hurt him because I think there's going to be some picks. There's going to be some growing pains, but I think the numbers themselves could be there. But I love the weapons. I love his moxie. I love that he's going to keep slinging it regardless. He's one of those guys that if he does throw a bunch of picks early, I don't think he's going to get down on himself. I don't think the, the organization is going to let him. I don't think his teammates are going to let him. Uh, and while Joe Mixon was really good last year and they gave him a lot of carries, as Jamie's been begging for two or three years to get more involved in the passing game, he was. I think that continues. So, yeah, I think there's a chance he can get into that, you know, 10, 11, 12 by the end of the year. I don't think it's going to be there early. Uh, there's going to be some growing pains, and I think there are probably going to be some uh, some training wheels that they don't take off for a little bit, but they're going to have to take them off eventually. So I think there's a chance that he creeps into that territory late. Yeah, he, he's in a he's in a good situation theoretically. You know, you, you talk about the, the weapons he has around him: AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins, uh, Joe Mixon out of the backfield. You know, they mean their offensive line's still bad. I mean, it, it, there's just there's no way around. They're getting first. They're getting first round pick back at left tackle. He uh, was Jonah Williams who missed the whole season, but uh, that still was the uh, graded out as a third worst offensive line in football according to PFF last year, and didn't get a lot better outside of uh, of Williams coming back, but. You know, to me, I took a look at what the sports books thought in terms of projections and where they said is over under to try to see, you know, okay, let's see where 
where that baseline is because he's expected to play all 16 games where a lot of the other rookie quarterbacks, their projections are skewed based on how many games the, the books think they're going to play. But for Burrow, it came out to about 3,800 passing yards, 24 passing touchdowns, uh, and 16 interceptions. And I'm going to add about 300 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns on top of that. I'm uh, glad you, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out because one thing I forgot to say was he's sneaky athletic and can run when yeah. he needs to. I can do a lot, but he can get out of the pocket and make some stuff happen. And so if you put all that together, based on last year's numbers, that would have put him at QB 15 in, in total points. I think that's kind of where I have him right now, where I still think there are so many. I mean, right, like right now, I'm seeing, you know who I'm seeing go QB 12 a lot right now? Aaron Rodgers. So that gives you an idea of where we're talking about in terms of why, again, for the, let me check my watch, 900th consecutive year, I would say wait on quarterbacks. Um, you know, as much as I love uh, Lamar Jackson, as much as I love Patrick Mahomes, as much as I love all those guys, wait on your quarterback. There are so many good options this year, um, as there are every year. But again, we're talking about guys like Carson Wentz and Aaron Rodgers are going 11 and 12 right now. And we're seeing guys like Roethlisberger. Yeah, and Roethlisberger and Stafford and those guys are not even going in the top 12. Like, I mean, there are just so many options for you in single QB leagues. In two QB leagues, you're going to have to make – you know, it starts to get a little bit thin as you get past the teens. But in single quarterback leagues, I think you wait. Um, I'm fine with adding him to your bench if you if you're if you're a team that says, you know what, I, I want to have two QBs on my on my roster. I want somebody with some upside in a situation where he's going to have to pass a lot and has a ton of weapons. Totally understand that. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you you grab at your draft as the tenth or eleventh QB uh, taken. And you just sit him there for the year minus the bye week. But he's going to be interesting. And in two QB leagues, he's a high end QB too, and I think it's worth taking that extra risk. Yeah, like somebody I'm going to pay attention to. I don't. I don't want any shares of it early. I'm not drafting him anything like that. Uh, and I, there's going to be injuries. So if he's at 15 projected, if they say those for 4,000 instead of 3,800, and there's two or three guys get hurt, he's right there. He's right there in that cat. I think there's a chance he can get there. I, I don't know that I'd feel good about him being a, a QB one, but he's going to be right in that territory. And he's somebody worth paying attention to, especially when you get into like weeks, you know, 10, 11, 12. And yes, when you're getting close to the fantasy playoffs. There could be some – he could be playing a team with a bunch of defensive injuries that they've already played before that year, something like that, where you look at saying, okay, I'm, my guy's on a bye. I'm going to pick him up for a week. He's going to throw it 40, 50 times. You know, I, I think there's a chance of that happening. Yeah, I think he he would be one of the guys that I was using towards the end of last year where I had two quarterbacks that had gone down, and I, I think the last three weeks I streamed quarterbacks because I was forced to. And I was looking at some of these guys, and I think he would fall into that category where I would look and I go, oh, do I like the matchup, right? Is he playing a, team, a defense he already knows? Is he playing up against in the division? Does the weather have an impact? Those are all things that'll that'll happen and, and be part of the conversation. It's also hard to have these conversations right now because we're used to having rookies minicamp right so we were used to having seen I'm used to watching NFL Network and I'm seeing Joe Burrow throw and I'm seeing all these things so like these rookies right now I'm even more hesitant especially with a quarterback that would have had you know a month's time at it at it with his organization that's now a zoom call to your point page we we were all streaming Ryan Tannehill at the end of the year yeah he's not going to put up those type of numbers fantasy wise because I think Tannehill was what top five there for a while yeah similar player not quite as athletic as Tannehill. Doesn't run it quite that good, but he's sneaky when he runs. I think there's going to be some stuff there, and I, they're going to throw it more than Tannehill was when we were all streaming him at the end of the year. So while it's, it's not that type of production, it's kind of that same scenario where you were like, all right, if I can pick Tannehill up off the bench this week, which he was there a lot late in the season when we're talking about this, that might be somewhere you're looking at doing it. I mean, yeah. it's still a risky, and we're, we're still really early, but the weapons are there. 
you got a bunch of guys that can beat man-to-man coverage. The weapons are there, which is the only reason we're having this conversation, right? Otherwise, uh, you, this conversation isn't happening because absolutely. then then we're looking at this and we're going, he's a rookie, he doesn't have people to throw to, and his offensive line isn't very good. The only reason this conversation is happening is because you look at the weapons and you go, huh, it's a pretty good situation for a rookie to walk into. And obviously, they're, they're different players, but I, I think the type of fantasy production you could see as a rookie could be similar to what we saw from Daniel Jones, where I can see Burrow having three or four games where he just spikes, where he yeah. is in the 25, 30-plus fantasy point range. And, I mean, things are clicking, whether it's offensively or just because they have to throw a bunch and they're already down 21 points at, at halftime. He just has to sling it for 30 minutes then the game. I could see him having those type of runs and then also having some of these games because you know he has to play the Ravens twice. He has to play the Steelers twice. He has to play – I mean, he has some tough games on that schedule. There might be some of those eight, nine-point performances mixed in. So for me, he's more of a guy that I look at. I say I would rather him in a single QB league be somebody I pick up here and there, You know, maybe against like the Giants in Week 12. Um, if something happens to your quarterback, he does have a juicy matchup in the fantasy championship against Houston. Um, something that stuff like that. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of up or down. I think there's just they're, they're going to be. Only Jamie's throwing out his matchup. For the- <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But Are I- you kidding me, dude? It's June, like June 8th. <laughs> he's he's like circled it already. I'm making sure he's yeah. opener. Jamie's throwing out who they're playing the famous fantasy championship. I know, I know. So, but I, I I could see him having that where he has four. Plus, he might have four thirty plus point games and four games under ten points. A lot yeah. like what Daniel Jones did last year. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's a really really good comparison. All right, guys, parting thoughts on today's podcast, Jake. I will let you go first. Man, it's got the juices flowing. I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, camp is going to start. Like I said, COVID's not going away. So hopefully people will kind of pay attention to the fact that it's still out there. Let's still kind of do what we were doing so we have football. I mean, they're talking maybe quarter quarter stadiums and maybe the suites and that kind of stuff. But, man, just talking about it, it's getting the juices flowing. Knowing camp's going to start on time. We're going to actually have some stuff on Center that's not a rerun from 2011. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be nice, but this is exciting. And uh, this is going to be a really unique year for fantasy. People that have played for a while have never seen a year like this, an off season like this. It's something to really pay attention to. Cause if you think you're going to go into your draft with the normal thing that you always do. I think it's going to bite you in the ass. I think you got to get, I think you need to listen to shows like this, listen to Jamie stuff, read that article, look at those rankings and say, okay, there's something to pay attention to here. Let me get a little more educated than maybe I have in the past. Jamie, your parting thoughts. Yeah, my follow-up is going to be, you know, exactly what Jake said. And, you know, keep an eye on the cheap plug, but the draftnetwork.com. Uh, we're having, I mean, several pieces of fantasy content go up uh, each week. And it's going to be daily content starting very soon with rankings and projections and all of that. But, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the second-year receivers. We're going to discuss on the show uh, in, in later this week and into next week, we're going to discuss the same deal with sophomore running backs and sophomore tight ends and break them down in those same formulas. And you'll be able to read more about that in depth on the draftnetwork.com. But it's important to have all these names in mind, because even if you're not drafting them or they're not somebody that's on your list or like, oh, okay, we have a fairly shallow league, uh, you know, Jalen Hurd and Andy Isabella and Steven Sims aren't on my radar. Like I said, it's important to have them at least in the back of your mind, because, you know, like last year, a receiver that was interesting, but probably wasn't going to be drafted was Devontae Parker. And we talked about how, you know, a lot of different shows talk about how, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in and, and the production that he has with top receivers and that, you know, we haven't seen it from Parker yet. There's some injury history there. There's some production issues we haven't seen, but it's a player to kind of keep an eye on. And if somebody emerges in that Miami offense, you'd be more likely to grab them. 
not saying that either any of those guys are going to put up Devontae Parker type numbers, but you need to kind of be prepared in advance of the hype. Sure, when a big name rookie like AJ Brown has a huge game, everyone's going to run to the waiver wire and pick him up. You know that. But it's be able to identify these players that other people might go like, eh, let me see him do it again. If you already identify them as a potential breakout candidate and here's why and start to see the underlying production match, that's how you can be ahead of the rest of your league and get some of these guys. And as you saw last year, people that made a lot of aggressive but smart waiver wire moves did very well because there were a lot of players that didn't get drafted last year, especially young first and second year players that made an impact in the fantasy playoffs in the championship. Yeah, good note on that one, Jamie. My parting thoughts here are I hope that everybody checks out Dre Harris's article on the draftnetwork.com. Uh Vic Fangio had some comments last week that we, you know, we're not getting into that, but Dre, Dre wrote an open letter to Vic um in light of what he said as somebody who's had an experience with the NFL. And I think it's an important conversation to have. I think it's an important topic to have. Um, and I'm really proud of Dre that he felt comfortable to write about his experiences, specifically in football, being a guy who played college football, played professional football, worked in multiple organizations in the NFL. Um, that perspective is very important. Um, and I think it's very important to listen and learn and become a, a better person and a better communicator and a better advocate at this time. And this is a really, really good way to do that. So I hope everybody checks that, checks that out. Uh, it's from Dre Harris on the draftnetwork.com. Jamie, how can everybody follow you on social media? You follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter. Jake. Jake B. Arians on Twitter. And you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an I on both Twitter and Instagram. You should follow the show at TDN Fantasy. You can follow the Draft Network at the Draft Network on Twitter. And you should check out all the articles we talked about today on the draftnetwork.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.